just a couple of points this morning. Two, two items of concern, but for totally different reasons in, the, in actual fact. Just one sad situation. A, a woman, a 45-year-old woman, a mother of five, uh, her name is Asia Bibi, and she lives in Pakistan. And she has been sentenced to death because it is claimed she blasphemed Muhammad. She has been in solitary confinement in prison for over a year, since last June, in actual fact, June last year. The court heard that she had been working as a farmhand in fields with other women. And when she was asked to fetch drinking water, some of the other women, all Muslims, refused to drink the water as it had been brought by a Christian and was therefore unclean, according to Mrs. Bibby's evidence. And that sparked a row. The incident was forgotten until a few days later when Mrs. Bibby said she had been set upon by a mob. The police were called and took her to a police station for her own safety. And the police then were under pressure from this Muslim mob, including clerics, asking for Asia to be killed because she had spoken ill of the Prophet Muhammad. So after the police saved her life, they then registered a blasphemy case against her. She had been held in isolation for more than a year before being sentenced to death just just very recently. And it's, it's exceedingly sad. Her husband doesn't know how to tell two of his younger daughters about the court's decision. He said, they asked me many times about their mother, but I can't get the courage to tell them that the judge has sentenced their mother to capital punishment for a crime she has never committed. You know, it's, it's just so sad. Although no one apparently has been executed recently under Pakistan's blasphemy laws, many get freed on appeal, but the trouble is, as many as ten people are thought to have been murdered while been held in detention by the Muslims. And there's an imam of a major mosque in the northwestern city of Peshawar. And he has offered £3,700 reward and warned the government against any move to abolish or change the blasphemy law. And we strongly resist any attempt to repeal laws which provide protection to the sanctity of Holy Prophet Muhammad. He told a rally of hardline Islamists, anyone who kills Asia will be given 500,000 rupees in reward from his particular mosque. And this is... This is happening in 2010, with people putting bounties on Christians who have allegedly 
blasphemed Muhammad. That's the first thing I just wanted to say. The other thing was also quite tragic in its own way. Bishops give landslide approval to common agreement on baptism. Now this has happened in the States, but no doubt it will happen further afield as time goes on. Those of us who say that we're living in the end times and that there'll be a one world church are probably laughed at a little bit, but it's happening before our eyes. The United States bishops voted overwhelmingly in favour of a common agreement on baptism during November, November the 16th. The move has been called a milestone in ecumenical relations with certain Protestant groups. During their fall assembly in Baltimore, 95% or 204 bishops voted in favour of an accord that would bring the baptismal practices of four reformed Christian churches in union with those of the Roman Catholic Church in America. They, they were on about whether it should be whether children should be baptised by sprinkling or by flowing water or by immersing the baby. Uh, I, I read uh, an article on uh, practices and what has been approved and it's really so complicated all for the sake of believing the error that children should be baptised, babies should be christened. And it says the presentation of a baptismal certificate by reformed Christians who wish to come into full communion with the Catholic Church or to marry a Catholic, he explains, assures Catholic ministers that the baptism performed by a reformed minister involved the use of flowing water and the biblical invocation of God as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The agreement is the result of six years of study and discussion between the U.S. Bishops' Committee for Ecumenical and Interreligious Affairs and representatives from the Presbyterian Church, the Reformed Church in America, the Christian Reformed Church and the United Church of Christ. Father Leo Walsh, Associate Director of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops' Secretariat for Ecumenical and Interreligious Affairs, explain the accord in a, an email. He said that the initiative is a milestone in the ecumenical journey that will aid interaction with Reformed Christians at the parish level. He explained that the agreement will foster awareness of baptism as the basis for the real but imperfect communion that exists among Christ's followers. It will also prohibit the use of innovative liturgical formulas. Mutual, mutually recognizing baptism as the gateway to eternal life will advance Christian unity in obedience to Jesus' prayer that all may be one. So, it's all becoming closer all the time. Right, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 33. We're not getting very far 
on this chapter. But we'll progress hopefully a little bit further on today. We read just from the beginning again. And this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of saints. From his right hand went a fiery law for them. Yea, he loved the people. All his saints are in thy hand. And they sat down at thy feet. Every one shall receive of thy words. Moses commanded us a law, even the inheritance of the congregation of Jacob. And he was king in Jeshurun, when the heads of the people and the tribes of Israel were gathered together. Let Reuben live and not die. Let not his men be few. And this is the blessing of Judah. And he said, Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him unto his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him, and be thou a help to him from his enemies. It's a lovely blessing. Let his hands be sufficient for him, and be thou a help to him from his enemies. Let We start at verse 6. We got as far as verse 5 the last time we met. Verse 6. Let Reuben live and not die, and let not his men be few. We know a bit about Reuben from the past, about uh, he and his brothers, how they treated uh, Joseph and things. But he was Jacob's firstborn. But nevertheless, he missed out some way by committing sin with his father's concubine. If you go to Genesis 49, you'll see what is mentioned there. It was when Jacob was blessing his children. And he said, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, defiledest thou it, he went up to my couch. And so there was this slur on Reuben. But you see, in Deuteronomy 33, there's no mention of this, but we see in Deuteronomy 33 God acting in grace. Now, it is through grace that we can obtain help and mercy. By grace are ye saved through faith. The grace of God passeth all understanding. He was unreliable. Weak as water. We, we use that expression quite often. It's weak as water. Never realising that it was a description of, of Reuben. And you know his tribe even. Portrayed some of those traits. 
Reuben, Gad and half Manasseh, they are the ones who stayed on the other side of the River Jordan. He was one of these people who was never prepared to go the full way. God's plan was for the, the children of Israel to move over the Jordan into the Promised Land. But they could see something. They wanted one foot in the world and one foot in the Promised Land. He was weak. Weak as water. Wasn't prepared to trust God completely on the other side of the River Jordan. So here we have the blessings that Moses declared to Reuben. The blessing that Reuben would live and not die. Now, this is an expression, the way they, they say things twice sometimes in Scripture, to accentuate, saying the same thought in different ways to emphasize the statement. To live, well, to live is the same as as not dying. Pleonism. But you know, Jesus Christ came. Most people today just live. We were in the market the other day and we were looking, we commented to each other how tense and sad and worried most people were that you, you saw in the stalls and walking around. It should have been something which was pleasant, but no. Life, for most people, is just living. Sadly. You look at people as they go around the, the shops and their daily work, they're living. And you know, the sad thing is that Jesus Christ came. He said, I've come to give you life in all its abundance. Abundant life in Jesus Christ. Looks as if, well, Reuben wasn't going to die. He was going to live. It's, it's not a great thing. Well, how are you? Well, I'm not dying. When Jesus Christ said he came to give us life in all its fullness. In all its joy. That your joy may be full. But unless we come to him who is the fountain of life, for real life, eternal life, we'll just go on living and not dying. You know, the, the name Reuben, it's interesting actually, the name Reuben means behold the sun. Behold the sun. And you know, I was thinking about this in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Take away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. And then, in John 19, we have when Jesus was taken before Pilate. He brought Jesus out and he says, Behold the man. Behold the man. And then later on in that chapter he says to the Jewish people, Behold your king. The sad thing was that the one who came was rejected by his own people. 
The one that John could say, Behold the Lamb of God. The one who had come to die. He was, we read, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But you see, when we behold the Son, the Son of God, in a spiritual manner, and believe him with our heart and with our with a true faith we live spiritually we will live in that abundant life and not just live and not die but we will have that abundant life and we will never die we'll be born again of the spirit of god and we will be given eternal life and the the one who had the power of death and who was defeated at Calvary will no longer have a claim on our lives and your lives. John 6.40 And this is the will of him that sent me, Jesus said, that everyone which seeth the Son, when we behold the Son, everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day we'll have that abundant life when we behold the Son when we behold the Lamb of God well that's about Reuben we'll go on to verse 7 and this is the blessing of Judah and he said Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him unto his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him, and be thou an help to him from his enemies. Now, we know, of course, that our Lord Jesus Christ would come through the tribe of Judah. Especially at this time of the year when people are celebrating the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll find again and again references to where Jesus was born. Matthew 2 verse 6 it says, And thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least amongst the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor. Who shall rule my people Israel. He was from Judah. The tribe of Judah. John's vision. Oh, in Revelation. He wept at one stage. He wept because. There was no one worthy to open this book. And to loose the seals. And to see what was inside. In Revelation 5.5 5 we read. And one of the elders. saith unto me. Weep not. For the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Our Lord is the lion of the tribe of Judah. We used to sing a chorus years ago. For the, the, the lion of Judah shall break every chain and give us the victory again and again. In the light of these uh, thoughts, the words of the prophecy are interesting. Oh, they, they, they applied uh, in the time of Moses, but let's look at them. 
and bring them uh, into the time of when our Lord Jesus Christ and the relation to our Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 7, Bring him unto his people. Bring him unto his people. He was in the world. And the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own. And his own received him not. Oh how sad. He came to his people. And they would have nothing to do with him. They cried and shouted crucify him. Crucify him. We've no king but Caesar. We'll not have this man to reign over us. He did come to his people. But sadly, they rejected him. And then it says, Let his hands be sufficient for him. In John 13 and verse 3, we read, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, so that he was come from God and went to God, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he was come from God and went to God. Here we see that God had given to Jesus his beloved Son, all things into his hands. The work of our redemption was placed into the hands of our Saviour. And thank God, his hands were sufficient. And those blessed hands were nailed to a cross for you and for me. And when he rose from the dead, and came to meet his disciples. We read in John 20. In verse 20. And when he had so said. He showed them. His hands. And his side. And the disciples were glad. When they saw. The Lord. Luke 24. and verse 39. Jesus said to his disciples. Behold. My hands. Lord, whence are those blood drops all the way that mark out the mountain's track? They were shed for one who had gone astray, ere the shepherd could bring him back. Lord, whence are thy hands so rent and torn? They are pierced tonight by many a thorn. They are pierced tonight by many a thorn. Those blessed hands were nailed to a cross but they were sufficient for you and for me his precious blood when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt and all my pride forbid it Lord that I should boast save in the death of Christ my God all the vain things that charm me most I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love 
flow mingle down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? When Jesus rose from the dead, and just before his ascension, in Luke 24:50, we read that he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Just before his ascension, he raised those blessed hands in blessing to his disciples. Because of those wounded hands, we too have abundant blessings in and through the death of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Then it goes on to say, Be thou an help to him from his enemies. Be thou an help to him from his enemies. There's an amazing passage. We'll have to read it in Acts chapter 2. Turn to Acts chapter 2 and from verse 22. It's, it's a wonderful passage. It's, it's a passage by Peter. Wonderful sermon he preached. What bravery before a crowd who only a short time ago had crucified Jesus of Nazareth. And he stood up. And I think it says he was bold. He was. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne he seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in hell neither his flesh did see corruption this Jesus hath God raised up 
whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. What a wonderful passage. What did we say? Be thou an help to him from his enemies. Christ has risen from the dead. He has defeated death and sin and the grave. And he is exalted at God's right hand. And the Father hath raised him and exalted him given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow that great enemy Satan has been defeated and Jesus was raised from the dead by his father God nothing needs to be added to those words of Peter in that wonderful sermon which he preached very soon after Christ had ascended to heaven. Lo, in the grave he lay, Jesus my Saviour, waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord. Vainly they watch his bed, Jesus my Saviour. Vainly they seal the dead, Jesus my Lord. Death cannot keep its prey, Jesus my Saviour, he tore the bars away. Jesus my Lord, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He rose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Be thou help to him from his enemies. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the man. Man of sorrows. What a name. For the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Saviour. And you know, moving on from that. As we this morning turn to remember the Lord Jesus Christ in the breaking of bread. We look at him on that cross and we see, behold the man, the man who was crucified, whose side was pierced, whose hands and feet were nailed to a cross for you and for me. Amidst us, our beloved stands and bids us view his pierced hands, points to the wounded feet and side blessed emblems of the crucified what food luxurious loads the board when at his table sits the Lord 
the wine how rich, the bread how sweet, when Jesus deigns his guests to meet. If now with eyes defiled and dim we see the signs, but see not him, oh, may his love the scales displace, and bid us see him face to face. Our former transports we recount when with him in the holy mount, these cause our souls to thirst anew his marred but lovely face to view. Thou glorious bridegroom of our hearts, thy present smile a heaven imparts. O oh, lift the veil, if veil there be, let every saint thy beauty see. And as we come this morning to remember the Lord Jesus Christ and his death, let us give him thanks for his great love, for those hands, for his wounded side, for this blood poured out. This do in remembrance of me, he says. We take the bread, just a symbol of his body broken, the wine of his blood poured out. And we say, thank you, Lord.